All weekend we have been looking at 2 Corinthians 3.18 and I want to ask you to turn there again with me. And I want you to say it out loud with me. Last night we stood up in honor of God's word and I want you to do that again. So just stand up and let's say these words together. These are words of life. These are words that will help us raise up out of the grave of sin. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Ladies, we can own this passage. You know, as we look at him, he changes us to look like him. How? though? That's the question. How does he do it? Well, the Bible says, our being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. And let's get this last part. Just as from the Lord, the Spirit. And that is the how. Just as from the Lord, the the Spirit. Jesus said in John 6, he said, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Every good thing that God ever does in your life is going to be done in the power of the Spirit, not because you tried harder. <laughs> Cynthia just shared with us about all her trying, right? And then the acapella team came up, and, and they shared about trying to, trying to be a Christian, trying to do the right things, trying to live for Jesus, trying, trying, trying. It's very easy to get into the trying zone. How many of you know what I mean? <laughs> Just try harder, you tell yourself. I mean, isn't that the American way? Muster yourself up and try. You know you can do it. Felicia, where are you at? I need you to sing that for us again because I think all of us feel like this. Sing it. I can't do it. <laughs> do you ever feel like just walking through your house and saying that to everybody or through your workplace or whatever? I am trying. I am trying so hard. We try. And we try some more. And we get exhausted. So we give up for a while, right? But then whatever we're trying to change about ourselves or more than likely somebody else, all of a sudden, we see the show about it, or we get a book, and we think, oh, I'm going to try some more. <laughs> and then we find out that doesn't work either. And so we give up some more. But then January 1st rolls around, and everybody's going to try. So we're going to try, too, because we don't want to be left out. But then that doesn't work either. And usually after all that trying, we just get discouraged, and we don't see any change, and we're trying so hard. Well, ladies, I don't want you to leave here today without owning this passage Every part of it, not leaving the last part off. We've got to let it go deep. God never intended for us to try. It doesn't work anyway. In Christ, instead, he did a great thing for you. He gave you his spirit to live within you. That's where the power is, and that's what it means to be free. That's why it says in Romans 8, 1 and 2, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. See, when Christ died for you, he offered new life, and this is new life in the spirit. When you become a Christian, the spirit of God comes to life within you, and your soul and your body no longer have to try to work out your life. For the believer, trying's the old way. 
Life in the Spirit is the new life, and we need to surrender to that. We're going to spend some time this morning just looking at Christ, and let's behold Him, and let's see how He lived and was empowered by the Spirit. I want you to turn back to Isaiah again. Isaiah 11, you can tell what I've been studying this year, right? (laughs) We're going to just look at Christ here. Isaiah is a great book. It's rich with imagery and treasure and the mystery of God. There is so much to see here. And we're just hitting some of the highlights this weekend. Don't have time to do all of it by any means. But to me, Isaiah 11 is one of the highlights of this book. Isaiah as a prophet, more than any of the other prophets, spoke of the coming Messiah of Jesus. And Isaiah 11 is one such place that he prophesied of Jesus. Let's read verse 1. It says, Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. Now that's talking about Jesus. You might think, well, how is that talking about Jesus? Well, track with me here. Who's Jesse? Jesse was the father of David, right? And you've heard it said of Jesus that Jesus is the son of David. So the stem of Jesse is David. And this branch that comes from him is Christ. And verse 1 is telling us that Christ is going to come and he's going to bear fruit. Now look at verse 2. It says, the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Here's Jesus. He's going to come to earth and he's going to be unlike any other man because he's going to be fully God, fully man. Now, this time there was still a veil. So the Spirit did not live within men at the time, okay? But Jesus is going to be different because the Spirit is going to be resting upon him. And let's read verse 2. It says, the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. What's the Spirit going to be like? The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and strength. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. All these lovely things of the Spirit are going to be resting upon Jesus Christ in in his power. Wisdom, understanding, counsel, strength, knowledge, the fear of the Lord. All resting upon Jesus. I love verse 3. It says, he will delight in the fear of the Lord. What does it mean to delight in the fear of the Lord? You know, what do you delight in? You know, do you delight in a hot fudge sundae? You know, wouldn't that be good? Or maybe a frappuccino from Starbucks. It's like, oh, I just love those things, you know. Whatever. What do you delight in? Do you delight in sitting near the ocean and reading a book? I love that. You know, I delight in that. It's like if you're given the opportunity, boy, you're going to do that thing. Right? Well, you know what? Jesus through the power of the Spirit, is going to have enough understanding and revelation about life as he walks on the earth that it is going to be his delight to humble himself before the Lord because he sees what life is really all about. The Spirit has opened up revelation to him, and he's going to delight. It's going to be his first choice. It's going to be like sitting on the side of the ocean and reading a book for some of us that love that or getting that hot fudge Sunday or whatever it may be. He's going to delight in that. It would be his first choice if ever given the opportunity to just humble himself before God. Well, that's going to be very different from most men at the time, from all men, because most men are going to be all about themselves, not delighting in the fear and the humility before God. And listen to what it says. It says, he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear. That's pretty different. How do most people make decisions about life? By their senses, right? By what they can see, what they can hear, and then they react to that. But Jesus is going to be different. The Spirit's going to be resting on him. And he's not going to make decisions in that way. He's going to make decisions in righteousness. 
Read verse 4. It says, but with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. See, the Spirit's going to be giving him all this understanding and wisdom and counsel and strength and knowledge and fear of the Lord to be able to walk about the Lord and, and responding to the world in righteousness. And then it says, and he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. With the Spirit resting upon him, every word that comes out of his mouth is going to have a profound impact on people, on wickedness, on the things that are going on in the world. He's going to lead a very different kind of life. And verse 5 tells us that righteousness and faithfulness are going to hold him together. What made Jesus different from any other man that ever walked the face of the earth? The Spirit of the Lord was resting upon him. And that wasn't true for anybody else at that time. Now, without Christ, we don't have the Spirit of God in us. So, living in our flesh, we're bound to the law of sin and death, which means a life without the Spirit of God. Figuring it out on your own. Trying, okay? Just trying really hard to work out your life. But in Christ, everything changes. Because, see, we too, now that we are in Christ, have the Spirit of the Lord resting on us. In fact, He's literally living within us. All that we see in Isaiah 11 is available to us, just like Jesus. So we can let go of the trying, ladies, and we can choose to surrender to the Spirit and to begin to get in that zone with Him and to be transformed into lovely. Now... Let's look at this transformation zone that actually is empowered by the Spirit. But let me say this about the Holy Spirit, my own experience. For years, all I knew about the Holy Spirit was two things. I knew that when they baptized somebody, they said his name, although they always said Holy Ghost, not Holy Spirit. Okay, same thing. And I knew, because I knew the Bible story of the day of Pentecost, that he did some pretty crazy stuff on that day, you know? But that was pretty much all I knew. Now, as I got older and I started looking up to different people in the church and in the body of Christ, I found that there were really two extremes about the Holy Spirit. You had the people that just couldn't stop talking about Him, and then you had the people that were afraid to talk about Him. Now, I wasn't in the Word at the time. I didn't know much about the Holy Spirit. They seemed to be all confused and not agreeing with one another, so I just decided to stay out of the whole thing because I couldn't figure it out either. Now, I say all that to say... I realize in the body of Christ, even still today, there is great confusion, there is great disagreement, there's great misunderstanding about the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing. You have the Word of God in your hands. And you can get in this Word, and the Holy Spirit, the Bible says He is our teacher, He will teach you about Himself. If you will give Him time to behold Him and to look at Him. And I am so thankful that I have started learning about the Holy Spirit and getting to know the Holy Spirit who actually lives within me. And here are some of the things I found out about him. He is not a feeling. He isn't a magician, okay? He's not the low man on the Trinity totem pole, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, way down here. No, that's not him, okay? He's God, <laughs> and he lives within us. And we would do well to get to know him in his word. I am way behind the learning curve on that. I told you, for years, I didn't know much about him. But as I've gotten into the Word, I've gotten to know him. And oh, what a difference it makes when you live in the Spirit. So what is our response as he lives within us? What is our response to him? 
You know, at an event like this, it's kind of easy to get all stirred up about, you know, following the Holy Spirit and surrendering all to the Holy Spirit, right? Because everybody around you wants to do that. But what about when you get home? What about when you're at work? What about, you know, when, when somebody's frustrating you or things? We're going to talk about some of that. A few weeks ago, I started making a list of all the different responses that I think people make when, when the Holy Spirit speaks or prompts or tries to move us into things. You know where I got the list? From myself, okay? And, and the responses that I was really trying to take note of. How am I responding to the Holy Spirit? I already told you about how I responded to Him when He was trying to get my attention when I was freaking out on a bag of balloons, right? I, I mean, I didn't listen. I just pushed Him away and thought my own thoughts. I didn't want to hear what He had to say. And many times, that is our response to Him. Oh, i got things to do. You know, many times, you know, I, I'm a speaker, so I talk a lot. And that can be a good thing and that can be a bad thing because I know how to use words. And sometimes I'll be using words and the Holy Spirit will go, shut your mouth. And I'll go, I just got to say this last part. And then I'll shut my mouth, okay? <laughs> that's not a good response because that's still doing what I want to do, right? Sometimes he'll prompt me to do something to go talk to somebody in a store. Let me tell you something. Two of our hostesses would not be here today if I had not obeyed the Lord and spoken to them. One in Chick-fil-A and one in a, in a clothing store last year. Because the Holy Spirit was like all over me. You can go talk to I don't know her. That's, that's going to make me uncomfortable. They're going to think I'm silly. You know, but for whatever reason, that time I obeyed him. And God was doing something and working. Now, they might have listened to him and probably would have and come and talked to me, you know, because they're probably much more obedient than I am. But see, what happens is the Holy Spirit prompts us, and we just get our own agenda about stuff. Sometimes we say, um, I think you need to confirm that one. That makes me, nah, I just don't know about that. Or I don't have time for that. Or uh, that would cost me too much. You know, he prompts us to do things. He prompts us to believe things and to see things. But we just get all caught up in ourselves. See, it's so easy to talk about and sing about and get all riled up about singing to the Holy Spirit and listening to Him. But what does that really look like in the day-to-day -day of life? And I want us to be real here and practical. It's not just a girlfriend weekend where we get all rah-rah and go home and live the same way. I think the word is very clear. Transformation isn't going to happen because you leave here and you try harder. It's going to happen as we behold the Lord. As we allow the Lord to wake us up and move us out of stuck and stubborn and settled and get us in the zone of transformation. And then as we actually surrender to the Spirit. But we got to understand, ladies, what does it mean to surrender to the Spirit? So, in an effort to just really be practical here this morning... And not leave this last part of 2 Corinthians 3.18 in some mystical realm of the Spirit's going to empower you. Go out and, and live these holy lives, you know, kind of like a fairy godmother waving her wand or doing her iPod or whatever over you, okay? I mean, that's not reality. Sometimes the Holy Spirit just does a quick work. But most of the time, it's a transformation that takes place over a period of time as we surrender to Him. And yield to him. So in an effort for us to really be able to look at what that looks like, I picked one area where I know we all need some transformation. And that's the area of loving people as God loves them. See, there's lots of areas where I know we need transformation. But I know that's one that we all need some work in. So I spent some time in the Word, just beholding the Lord, beholding his love, Looking at that and saying, God, show me about your love. I want to see 
your love. And I put together some scriptures and just summarize them. And I want us to just take a moment and look at these, read through them, behold God, behold his love. I don't know if any of those reach out to you more one than another. To me, the one that really stands out and just really has hit me lately is lavish love. You know, I grew up in a wonderful home and I have a wonderful family and husband now, but I don't know that I can say I've really experienced lavish love a whole lot. I mean, I've probably been given it a few times, but I probably never have given it to someone else before. Have you ever experienced just lavish love? I mean, just poured out upon you other than from God himself. See, I look at all these things about the Lord's love, and this is just a teeny bit of it. And I am amazed because I know that I don't love like that. And, and I, don't, I don't experience love like that most of the time. See, the mirror of God's word reveals that his love is strong and deep and rich. So we're just going to focus in on some love. I know that many of you need transformation and that you're depressed today and you need hope. Or you're dealing with anger. Or your marriage is a mess. Or you've got things going on that you just know God is putting his finger on in your life and saying, we're going to work on this. And I know those are all kinds of things. And we could talk about all the different ones. But in an effort to just really be practical and be able to grab a hold of what does it mean to be transformed in the spirit, we're going to focus in on this one thing. And that is the Lord's love and learning to be a reflection of that love. Letting the Lord transform us into that. So that when we leave here, maybe the glory of God can just stream out of this place as we go about loving as he did. So our focus is going to be surrendering to the Spirit's leading to love. The Lord's love is so different than the way we love in the world. And when the Spirit of the Lord is upon somebody, they're going to love very different because the Lord's love is so different from the world. Look back with me in Isaiah 11 again. We read about Jesus and how the Spirit of the Lord would be upon him. And then in verse 6, it says some really interesting things. Verse 6 tells us that wolves and lambs are going to dwell together in peace. Calves and lions are just going to just get along, be there, and a little boy is going to lead them along. In verse 7, it tells us that bears and cows are going to graze together and just be at peace with one another. This is amazing in verse 8. It tells us that babies are going to be playing with snakes like reaching their hands into a viper's den and just, just having a good time, like they would play with a toy. They're going to be playing with snakes. And in verse 9, I hate snakes, so I can't even imagine that, but, but that's what it says. In verse 9, it says, They will not to hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. There's not going to be any pain. There's not going to be any hurt. And then it goes on to tell us that the earth is going to be full of the knowledge of the Lord. See, that's lovely. That's beautiful. All of God's creation just being at peace and in love together in a beautiful and harmonious way. And that is a reflection of the lovely love of our God. Now, these descriptions are a bit different than what we experience, right? I mean, wolves and lambs dwelling together. We can't get, even get along in our own households, right? <laughs> what, what about cows and bears getting along? It'd be nice if churches could get along and Christians could get along. 
What about babies playing with snakes? We can't even let our own kids play together sometimes because they don't know how to get along with one another. And we can't play together in the workplace either because we slander one another and stab each other in the back. Where is this beautiful knowledge of the Lord that can bring about peace and love in our world? It's right within us. It's right within us, speaking to us and teaching to us and leading us. And as we listen and as we surrender to him, we're going to learn how not to judge by what our eyes see and our ears are hearing, but to literally listen to the wisdom and understanding and counsel and strength and knowledge and the fear of the Lord that as he lives within us, he brings up within us. So let's just look at Christ being empowered by the Spirit. How did he love? Keep your finger in Isaiah 11, but also turn with me over to John chapter 8. And we're going to look at a situation when Jesus, this this stem of Jesse, okay, this branch, when he was on the earth, what was it like? Chapter 8 of John. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people were coming to him. And he sat down and began to teach them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery and having set her in the midst. Now, let's describe this here. Here's Jesus, all these people in the temple, listening to him speak and teach. And all of a sudden, the doors burst open and these men, who are kind of angry, bring in this woman and she is probably naked, okay? Head hanging down in shame. If she's clothed at all, it's probably just scantily clad. And they bring her and sit her right in the midst. Can you imagine if that happened right this minute? Like the doors burst open and and some men bring in this naked woman, just sit her right here. What would you do? How would you respond to that? You know, we find that the scribes and Pharisees, they didn't do this because they cared about righteousness in the community. If you look back in John chapter 7, they were out to get Jesus. And they were trying to trap him in a situation where he he would react and, 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 and just mess up his whole reputation. And then they could pounce upon him. Listen in verse 5. This is what they said to him. It says, Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone... Oh, let me go back to verse 4, sorry. It says, They said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? And they were saying this, testing him in order that they might have grounds for accusing him. You know what? What a bad motive. (laughs) What a situation to just get set right in the midst. This poor woman was being used. Let's read and see what Jesus did. It says, but Jesus stooped down and with his finger he wrote on the ground. And when they persisted in asking him, can you just hear their voices? He straightened up and he said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone. And the woman where she had been in the midst. And straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way. From now on, sin no more. Now, I wonder, if Jesus didn't have the Spirit of God resting upon him, how would he have responded in the flesh? The word flesh and soul are really synonymous with one another in the Bible. So out of of his mind, his own mind, his own will, his emotions, how would he have responded to the leaders? What would he have done? 
Maybe he would have just wanted to level these men. I mean, he knew their motives. Maybe he would have been scared of them. I mean, they were pretty authoritative in the community. Maybe he would have just been irritated by them and, and spoken harshly to them. Who knows? In the flesh, how would he have responded to the woman? Maybe he would have just wanted to fuss at her for interrupting the whole teaching time, okay? For, for being so unwise to get caught up in an adulterous affair. Or maybe even this, I hope this doesn't offend you, but maybe in selfishness he would have even been aroused at her. I mean, she's a naked woman if he's just responding in the flesh. Who knows how he would have responded if the Spirit of God had not rested upon him. But what does it say in verse 6? But Jesus. Jesus didn't play into their games, and he didn't condemn the woman, and he didn't respond in any kind of selfish motives or desires. Why? How? Because the Spirit of God was resting on him, and he was surrendered to the Spirit. You think about what we saw in Isaiah 11, that prophecy of what Jesus was going to be like. How the spirit of wisdom and understanding and counsel and strength and knowledge and the fear of the Lord was going to rest upon him. How he wasn't going to judge by what his eyes saw or, or make decisions by what his ears hear. Now, I know it's easy to look at that and go, well, of course that's how he responded. He's Jesus. That's how Jesus responds. Jesus loves people, and Jesus is nice, and Jesus is God. So Jesus does those kinds of things. But don't forget, he was just like us. And the Bible says that he was tempted in every way. He felt the same things we feel. The same temptations that have come to us were there for him. The more I meditated on this, the Holy Spirit revealed something to me. You know, the situation that was brought and set right in the midst, what was it? It was adultery. And it has been said that that's the worst kind of betrayal. The pain of that kind of betrayal slices so deep. And some of you in this room, you know what I'm talking about because you've felt that before. I mean, that's the reason sometimes people can be acquitted for, like, killing somebody. When, when they discover their spouse in an adulterous affair. Because the rage, all the emotions that just surge up within you. How could you ever love somebody that does that to you? Well, the woman was committing adultery. It was against her husband, right? Yes, but who is all sin really against? Against God. And here's what the Spirit showed me. When these leaders brought her and put her right in front of Jesus, don't you know the pain sliced deep into his heart? Because if you've studied the Bible at all, you know throughout the whole Old Testament, God keeps calling his children adulterous. He uses that very analogy and says, you've gone off and loved all these other things, but you don't love me. And so here's Jesus, fully man, fully God, and this adulterous woman is come and put right in front of him while he's teaching everybody. And it is the exact picture of what has been happening ever since he created us in the first place. Don't you know the pain sliced deep into his heart. Don't think for a moment, just because he's Jesus, that he didn't feel that hurt or feel that pain, the hurt, the frustration, all of the wanting to react in the moment. But Jesus, under the Spirit's leading, under the Spirit's promptings, he responded differently. See, I read this passage and I see tender 
conviction-filled, compassionate, caring love. In a moment that Jesus had every right to react to. But Jesus. He didn't respond by what his eyes saw or make a decision by what his ears heard. The Spirit of the Lord rested on him. I want you to think about something. Think about a situation, a challenge in your life, something that's set right in the midst with somebody, a group of people maybe even. If all of these things were resting on you, would you be able to respond instead of react? <laughs> maybe it's, been so, it's something you have been asking the Lord about for a long time and you have been trying so hard to do better or to work it out or to get them to respond differently. Let me ask you this. Would it be different if you had the spirit of wisdom and understanding resting upon you? Where you surrendered your agenda long enough to where the Holy Spirit could show you the big picture. Show you God's heart. Give you understanding what God was really trying to do in this person's life. Would you be able to love then? What if the spirit of counsel and strength was just resting on you? Like the Holy Spirit was whispering counsel right in your ear and then giving you the strength to do what he was asking you to do. Could you love then? What about the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord? What if you had all this stuff resting upon you? Could you respond differently to this person that maybe is so hard to love? Yes, right? Yes. Well, here's the thing. We do have that. We have the spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel and strength, knowledge and the fear of the Lord living within us. Notice in this passage, Jesus isn't frantic. He's not anxious. He doesn't get all in a tither and be like, what in the world am I going to do? He's not overwhelmed or trying to get the situation under control that has now become chaotic. No, no, not at all. He just responds very gently, simple, quiet, stoops down, writes in the sand. Now that doesn't mean that every time you get upset with somebody, you just go outside and start playing in the dirt. <laughs> I mean, that's not going to work. The next time your husband comes home and makes you mad, don't go outside and make him mud pies for dinner. That's probably not going to go over very well. But here's the thing. The Holy Spirit is creative. He's the one that created the heavens and the earth. You know, he comes up with all kinds of different ways to give us counsel and understanding to love well. The Spirit will change his, his direction to us. But think about, do we react in the flesh, in our soul, or do we respond to situations in the spirit of Christ's love? These men brought this woman and put her right in the midst, right in the center of where Jesus was. He had to see, he had to hear, and he had to make a choice. And his choice was to be surrendered to the spirit. And you know what? This story brings glory to God every single time it's told or read because it reveals the compassionate, caring love of our God. So let's look at how we love then as we are empowered by the spirit. Let's talk about some people situations that get set right in our midst. Hard to get along with people just end up plopped right in our life. And you think, why is it always me? You know, maybe, maybe the people we disagree with, people who just seem to be so needy and are always needing something from us. You know, some of you teen girls, that teacher that just gets on your nerves. For some of us parents, that person that just doesn't seem to treat our child right. Boy, we can be mama bears, can't we? What about that ex-spouse at a family gathering, plopped right in your midst, sitting at your table, talking about things that you just, you're just mad about? 
What about people in your church who aren't doing what you think they should be doing, and you end up having to sit next to them on their pew, and they're right in your midst? I mean, all these situations, you can come up with a million different scenarios of people that get put right in our midst, people we're jealous of, people that get on our nerves, people that talk about us. You know what? Did you know that every one of those things is an opportunity to reflect, not those things, those people, those situations, is an opportunity to reflect the glory of God. What do we do with them? Do we react or do we respond with God's love as the Spirit prompts us? Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, well, how do I know what God would do? I mean, this is a really, you know, kind of chaotic situation that's been placed right in my midst. Or this is really confusing. I don't know what God would do. Well, let me answer that question. How do we know what God's love would do by telling you this? When we decided to use the theme, Isn't She Lovely?, for Women's Vacation Bible School. Immediately, you know, you hear the words, Isn't She Lovely?, and everybody starts singing, Isn't She Lovely?, isn't she beautiful? But we didn't know the rest of the words. None of us did. So we would all go, da-da-da-da-da. And then we'd say, isn't she lovely? And we'd do that. And we'd, we'd sing it all the time. We went on a retreat for planning way back in January. And we did that the whole time we were there. Da-da-da-da. Because we didn't know the rest of the words. Well, we were handing out some of the cards that probably many of you got, those invitation cards. We were at an event. And we were handing them out. And we handed one to this young girl. And the minute she saw the title, she started singing too. She said, isn't she lovely? Isn't she beautiful? I don't know the rest of the words, but isn't. And the minute she said that, something rose up in me, and I thought, that is it. See, we all know we're lovely in Christ. All us Christians, we've been told so many times that Jesus died on the cross for us. We forget it sometimes, so we got to be told again and again. And we talk about it all the time. We sing about it. Aren't we lovely in Christ? We're made clean in Christ. His grace covers us. It's so wonderful to be lovely in Christ. And we talk about that. We sing about that. We pray about that. We study about that. But the problem is we don't know the rest of the words. <laughs> we don't know the rest of the words. And as a result of that, we don't know how to love. We don't know how to love like God does. Go back with me to Isaiah 11. Remember, as we were reading about all those places where, where all these lions and bears and all these animals and people are going to be just dwelling together in unity and love without any hurt or pain. Did you catch the last part of verse 9? It said, the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. What brought about all this love and peace on the earth. The fullness of the knowledge of the Lord. And here is what God is showing me. I think a lot of the time, we don't know how to love in the full measure of God's glory because we don't really have a full knowledge of the Lord. We know what he did for us, but we don't know how he responds in so many other situations. Our ministry exists that we might be filled up with the knowledge of the Lord. We believe God is calling his daughters to grow up in him and to learn his word that we might be these reflections of his glory. That's why we have women's VBS. That's why we memorize scripture together. That's why I speak and teach. That's why we have Bible studies and resources that we try to put into women's hands. In fact, I want to just give away some more of those right now. Is there a Megan Hogg in here? 
Back in the back. Okay. This is a Daughters of the King CD set, just teaching from First Peter. Is there a Barbara Freeman here? Right there. Okay. This is a Bible study called Loving Life. It's all about a study in First Peter. Okay. And Elizabeth Cheek. Are you here? I can't see. Raise your hand. Okay, great. This is a study about being face-to-face -face with the Lord's loving kindness. Now, you're going to see the Lord's loving kindness in your life, and you're going to have to go out now and, and love people well in the spirit, okay? Because you're going to come face-to-face -face with it, all right? We believe that when we get in the word, God is going to fill us up with the knowledge of his word. And you know what? We'll start loving then like he loves. You know, that really takes us full circle back to the beginning of 2 Corinthians 3.18. See, when we look at God, we know God. And we can see him because he's taken the veil away. And we behold him intently. And as we're looking at him every day, he gets our attention. We see what he did. We see how he lives. We see how he responds. And that puts us then in this zone of transformation. It gets us out of stuck and stubborn and settled because you can't be in God's presence and not be changed. And the word begins to be filled up within us. It becomes a part of us. So that when these situations, whatever they may be, get plopped right in our midst, we're so aware of who God is. We're so aware of how he responds and how he lives that when the spirit of God who lives within you starts prompting you to respond in the same way, you respond with yes. Because you say, that's what my father would do. That's what my Jesus would do. I know because I've been looking at him. And I'm sure and certain of it. See, it doesn't make any sense in this world for me to give generously to some person on the street that I don't even know who they are. It doesn't make any sense for me to reach out to somebody who's done horrible things. It doesn't make any sense for me to forgive a, a, a spouse who hurt me. Or to be kind to children who are frustrating me. Or to have a gentle voice to that boss who is always mean to us. It doesn't make any sense. But we don't judge by what our eyes see. And we don't make decisions by what our ears hear. No. We dwell in a different realm. A lovely realm. We've been beholding the Lord. And we're responding to his spirit as he has been filling us up with the knowledge of how he would respond himself if he were walking right amongst us. Ladies, one more thing we have got to remind ourselves of every day, and I hope you will go home and put these notes on your own mirrors, the Spirit. We live by the Spirit. We don't live in trying. We live by the Spirit, and we have to respond to Him if we're really interested in becoming lovely. What have you been seeing? I love seeing that these mirrors are filled up because it tells me that you've been seeing things about the Lord. Maybe this weekend, maybe before you even came here, I'm sure, because I know that many of you are seeking him. Somebody wrote, peace within. They've been seeing peace in God. They've been seeing strength in the Lord. They've seen that the Lord is their healer. They've seen that he will free me from all my fears. All these things that we can see about the Lord. And the more we see them, all these things work together so that when the Holy Spirit prompts these things in us, they become a delight to us because we know that is the best way to live. Reflecting the lovely glory of God in the way we love in this ugly and dark and broken world. It really, really can happen. 
God definitely sees you as lovely. I hope you've received that and you know that and have been reminded of that. He took the veil down. But we actually can become lovely as we establish our footsteps in the truth of this whole passage of 2 Corinthians 3.18. Say it again with me. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. We're no longer bound by sin and death, ladies. A good thing has happened to us. We have been set free to live in the Spirit, set free to love people, even people put in our midst in the Spirit. Several years ago, I heard a story from a man named Tony Campolo. Now, Tony Campolo is a preacher who's been known as a pretty radical Christian. Recently, I heard the same story again, and it just quickened in my heart. Tony tells of a time that he was speaking in Honolulu, Hawaii, but he actually lives on the East Coast. So when he was in Honolulu, he was way off as far as his time clock, and he found himself one morning at about 3 o'clock in the morning, hungry and awake, because for him, the time was actually different. So he goes down to this greasy cafe and just sits down on one of the bar stools at the counter to get some breakfast, even though it's only 3 o'clock in the morning. Well, as he was sitting there, a group of about eight or nine prostitutes walk in the door. And they had just finished for the night, set right in its midst. And their talk was really loud and crude. And it was difficult for him to not avoid listening in. I mean, they were right there. One was sitting right next to him. And he heard one of them, this girl that was sitting right next to him, tell the others that it was her birthday the next day. And one of the girls said to her, well, what do you want from me, a birthday cake? Kind of real crude and sneered at her. And the girl said, no, why be so mean? I was just telling you, I don't expect anything. I've never had a birthday cake, never going to have one now. The girls left. And Tony Campolo is a man who lives by the Spirit. So when the woman left, he went over to the owner of the cafe, a guy named Harry. He said, hey, do those girls always come in here? He said, yeah. Why do, you, why do you want to know? He said, including the one who sits next to me? And the guy said, yeah, her name's Agnes. W what about him? He said, well, I heard her say her birthday's tomorrow. How about we throw her a birthday party? And he said, well. And then a smile grew across his lips, and he got in on the idea and got his wife in on the idea. So the next night, about 2.30 in the morning, he went over to the cafe owner, to the cafe. He had brought decorations, and, and Harry and his wife had made a cake, and it seemed like all the prostitutes in Honolulu had heard about this party they were going to have in the cafe, and they had all come in. So when Agnes, the girl whose birthday it was, entered in, she was just totally flabbergasted as they all started singing, happy birthday, and, and put the candles on the cake, and, and they said, cut the cake and blow them out so we can all have a piece, and she was just speechless. And as it all worked out, Harry just told her, you know, Agnes, we don't have to cut the cake right now. It was such a precious possession to her because she'd never had a birthday cake. And she said, can I just take it home? I'll come right back. And she went out the door just flabbergasted with this birthday cake that somebody had cared enough about her birthday after all these years to have a party for her. There was stunned silence in the room when she left. And, and Tony just spoke up and he said, what do you say we pray? 
And they did. He led a whole group of prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning in prayer. And when they were done, Harry said, hey, you never told me you were some kind of preacher. What kind of church you belong to anyway? And Tony said, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. And Harry waited for a minute and just looked at him and he said, no, you don't. There's no kind of church like that. If there was, I'd join it. I'd join a church like that. Wouldn't we all? Wouldn't we all love to join a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning? Anybody who reads the New Testament will discover a Jesus who reached out to prostitutes and all kinds of left out people. The tax collectors and the sinners, they loved him because he finally acknowledged him when nobody else would. The lepers of society found in him somebody who would eat with them and drink with them. And while the religiously pious people could not relate at all to what he was about, those lonely people who usually got left out, who didn't get invited to the parties, took to Jesus with excitement. And ladies, I just have to tell you, I am one of those people. Because I'm someone that often feels like I don't measure up or I get left out. But Jesus has acknowledged me. What makes him different than anybody else? The Spirit of the Lord has rested upon him. And I believe many of you, in fact all of you, have taken to Jesus. You want him to be real in your life. What caused Jesus to love like that? To be set apart differently like that. It was the Spirit of the Lord resting upon him. When I look at that account that we read in John, two words set him apart, but Jesus. They set him apart as one who responded to the Spirit, not as one who reacted in the flesh. And just as the Spirit led Jesus into the fullness of all wisdom and understanding and counsel and strength and knowledge and the fear of the Lord, he can lead us. He led Tony Campolo to throw a birthday party for a prostitute at 3.30 in the morning. What if some legalistic Christian had been sitting on that stool and that group came in and got set right in their midst and they sneered or said, oh, i got to sit somewhere else and went to the other side. But Tony, could it be said of us, but Sharon, but Mary, but Jane, but Julie, he can lead us too. When situations get set right in our midst, it can be said of us because we've been beholding God and our minds and our hearts are full of his word. We do know the rest of the words and the spirit will raise them up in us and use them to prompt us to respond and we can do that, and we will be a lovely reflection of the glory of God. I believe we all need transformation in many ways. I know I do, but none so important as love, because the Bible says God is love, and nothing will reflect him more. What would it look like if we all left here today seeking the Lord, beholding him, and being surrendered to his spirit to love anybody that gets put in our midst? You can't do it on your own, ladies. You can't do it. You can't try hard enough. We don't have the wisdom and the understanding to do it well. We don't have the strength and the counsel to know what to do. And we will too quickly judge a situation by what we see and hear. But life in the Spirit is very, very different. And it is available to us all. 
Jen is going to come in just a minute. She's going to sing a song. And we're going to extend an invitation right now for us to do one of two things. Come down front and give your life to the God of love. If you don't know Jesus, his spirit is not alive in you. You can't have all these wonderful blessings of life in the spirit. And you need to be saved. And you need to have his spirit be born again in you. And our hostesses are going to be down here ready and willing to pray with anyone and talk through that with anyone who would like to do that. Also, we want to extend them an invitation for us as women to just come and sit and talk with the Lord and reason with him about how we are loving. I wish I didn't have to say this, but I know it's true. I know it's true about me, and I know it's true about women. Women can be some of the meanest people. It's true. We can. And many of us need to repent today and how we have been responding to situations that are placed in our midst. But the beautiful thing about the Lord is he'll take all that and he'll give us all back his lovely love. Only you and the Lord know what you need. There's no veil. Just come and talk to him about what you need. He can transform anything unlovely in you through his spirit within you. He can make you lovely, just lovely. You know, some people say those two words, lovely, just lovely. And they're saying it in a really negative way, but I'm not. See, I believe the Lord is looking down upon us today, and he is nudging those angels, and he is saying, lovely, just lovely. As he sees our hearts turned up to him and just beholding him, as he sees our very souls awake to the transformation and our very lives ready to be surrendered to his spirit. He, better than anyone, knows the lovely that can shine forth from all of that. Won't you come and let him talk with you and reason with you today?